special technique. Special technique of shadow boxing. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's up, what's up, what's good, everybody? This is the March 1st, 2020 episode of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, James Bell. I am the leader of the Boxing Source on social media. You can catch boxing articles and more at the Boxing Source. .net. Once again, the boxing source. .net. Number to dial in 347-237-5539. Once again, that's 347-237-5539. Press the one key to get on cue, and you'll be able to talk live on the show. Uh, we have uh, fairly... Um, packed for tonight. Um going to see if we could uh get in a former world champion uh to join us for this particular podcast. And uh we will also have um a another guest coming on to the show uh to speak on a few things here um within the business of boxing. Um, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, we had the events that did happen over at the star in Frisco, Texas, Ford center, um, you know, headlined by the welterweight bout between Mikey Garcia and Jesse Vargas for the WBC diamond welterweight title. He also had as a co-feature bout, yeah, Khalid Yafai versus Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez for the WBA Super Flyweight title. Uh, he also had uh, Joseph Parker versus Shondell Winners. Uh, that was on this particular card. And you had the WBC Flyweight title on the line with Julio Cesar Martinez against Jay Harris. So a uh, fairly uh, packed card uh, that uh, took place over in Frisco. And I wanted to, you know, get into it there a little bit. Um, you know, starting off with um, the the uh, main event there, Mikey Garcia, uh, versus Jesse Vargas. And um, the thing with uh, that is 
that was for the WBC Diamond Welterweight title. Uh, you have Mikey Garcia, who has suffered his uh, first loss of his uh, professional career last year to Errol Spence Jr. Um, and that was, you know, at the AT&T Center. Um, and then he had not, you know, fought for the rest of uh, 2019. Um, so, you know, he was trying to, you know, figure out what he was going to do, what was his next move going to be, um, whether he was going to stay at welterweight or, you know, go down and wait where he had won uh, world titles, um, you know, with the super lightweight division and in the lightweight division. Uh, but he decided to uh, stay in the welterweight division, taking on Jesse Vargas, former two-division world champion, uh, was coming in with a record of 29 wins, two losses, and two draws. Those two draws being to Adrian Broner and Thomas DeLorme in 2018. Uh, remember, he had the WBO welterweight championship uh, that he won against Adam Ali, uh, but then in his first defense, lost that welterweight title to Manny Pacquiao. Uh, so he's had you know two wins and two draws since that particular fight. Uh, so... Uh, we have the um, we had this fight, and we wanted to, you know, basically see what Mikey Garcia was going to do here because, you know, there were still questions about if Mikey Garcia was going to be a serious uh, contender in the welterweight division, and this right here was a, you know, great um, measuring stick, so to speak as to where Mikey Garcia is in the welterweight division, having a former WBO welterweight champion facing him at this particular point. And, you know, Jesse Vargas is, you know, that was out there with that, um, you know, 29 wins, two losses, and two draws. Uh, had the, you know, 71-inch reach, uh, you know, like had a reach advantage over Mikey Garcia and had the height advantage over Mikey Garcia. So there were a couple of questions to see of what uh, Mikey Garcia was going to do in this particular bout. Um, you know, first, you know, starting off in this fight, you had Mikey Garcia pretty much uh, right in front of uh, Jesse Vargas. And Jesse Vargas was, you know, fairly active with uh, his hands, you know, trying to, you know, get to uh, Mikey Garcia at first before Garcia could get within his range to, you know, throw his punches. And when Mikey Garcia did throw punches early uh, in the fight, particularly in the first two rounds, you had Jesse Vargas being able to counter with his left hand. Uh, He was able to, you know, come up with the left hook counter. And he also had the lead left hand that was throwing off the timing of uh, Mikey Garcia. And he had, you know, Mikey Garcia, you know, pretty much off a little bit in those first few rounds. I would say, you know, the first three rounds or so, he pretty much had the um, momentum over Mikey Garcia. And then, you know, in the fourth round, he kind of continued on at particular pace. But then Mikey Garcia was um, basically measuring him up uh, to see what he could do. But, you know, those first four rounds, you, you could – pretty much say that um, Jesse Vargas won pretty much every one of those rounds. And then in the fifth round, 
Mikey Garcia started to change things up a little bit. Started to, you know, just go gung-ho about his approach and come at Jesse Vargas. Uh, He started to, you know, throw the one-two combination, try to, you know, step step in behind his right hand, and he was becoming a little bit successful with that. And then at one particular point, you know, when the fifth round, uh, he had Jesse Vargas out of position, and once Jesse Vargas was out of position, then he became off balance, and Mikey Garcia took advantage of that, uh, was able to back up Vargas, and then just came with that same one-two and then hit him flush with the right hand to knock down Jesse Vargas um, down near a corner uh, to um, score the first knockdown of the particular fight. And so Vargas was able to get up from that, and then you just started to see Mikey Garcia continue to build off of that momentum and work on that uh, one-two combination. Over the next few rounds, you saw Mikey Garcia mix things up a little bit with that one-two combination, throwing um, uppercuts, throwing hooks and and crosses, um, and also going to the body uh, to, you know, score against Jesse Vargas. Uh, But, you know, also, you also saw on the flip side, Jesse Vargas start to mix up his attack a little bit going to the body of Mikey Garcia. I mean, I see. Through, you know, I would say the seventh round or so, um, he started to mix up his attack and, you know, get, score a few points on uh, Mikey Garcia. So, uh, once he was able to, you know, score on uh, Mikey Garcia, then you kind of like seeing him get a few more rounds in there um, when he was, you know, going through this particular fight. So, you know, while Mikey Garcia was still pretty much in his pace, kind of like, you know, still even kill, nothing too, you know, nothing too rash or, you know, two over the top. Uh, Jesse Vargas still had his moment uh, in this particular fight. Um, and, you know, once, you know, everything was uh, done with the 12 rounds, you had the scorecards come in with uh, two scores of 116-111 and one score of 114-113. Unanimous decision for Mikey Garcia with him getting the WBC Diamond Welterweight Championship. So uh, you had... You know, six rounds to six on one scorecard and two scorecards of eight rounds to four. The knockdown in the fifth round, uh, giving that extra point uh, to Mikey Garcia. Um, And that's, you know, pretty much what, what you had. I think that you had instances where Vargas was able to catch Mikey Garcia slipping. Um, you know, even with a couple of times that uh, he Garcia had Vargas to the ropes, um, you know, it's pretty much uh, hurt him a bit, uh, but he didn't necessarily 
gain off of that or you'll pretty much uh, go off of that to, you know, I would say finish off the fight. And then at the end of the 12th round, we saw Jesse Vargas basically being uh, Jesse Vargas in the sense that he kind of gets his opponents in the most trouble at the end of a fight. And at the end of the 12th round, he was able to connect with a two-punch combination upstairs that really rocked uh, Mikey Garcia. And, you know, by the time the, the bell rung, it was like, oh, man, who who knows what would have happened if uh, Mikey Garcia would have been in serious trouble uh, from that combination. Uh, but either way, you had Mikey Garcia winning, um, and he is now 40 and one, um, and Jesse Vargas is twenty nine three and two. Like I said, the WBC Diamond Welterweight title is on the line, so Mikey Garcia is the WBC Diamond Welterweight champion. I mean, I don't know what specifically that means. Um, some people have said that it's like the equivalent to the. Um, Super championship for the WBA. I don't know about all that, but I mean, maybe the WBC could, you know, explain it. You know, like we say, we have a world champion, you have an interim champion, you have a diamond champion, you have a franchise champion. You know, so that's pretty much what you got uh, here at this particular point. Um, so that's kind of like the, you know, brief synopsis of uh, that particular bout. Um, trying to, you know, see what else, um, I can pretty much say about it. I mean, you know, after the particular fight, um, you had Mikey Garcia with his comments, um, you know, saying that he, he would be interested in, you know, fighting, um, you know, Errol Spence Jr. once again, that was his only loss of his pro career. Um, he's saying that he's comfortable at the weight at 147. And, you know, whether it's, you know, fight against Errol Spence Jr. again or, you know, working towards the fight between him and Manny Pacquiao, uh, which is something that he has pursued for almost 18 months, I would say. Um, so that is basically what we uh, got here up at this particular point. Um where he can um, he can see what his next move is going to be in the welterweight division. I'm not sure um, what Mikey Garcia is at this particular juncture, if he's like a top 10 guy or anything like that. Um, and, you know, you have, like I said, he's, he's interested in fighting Aerosmith Jr. again. He has Manny Pacquiao again, but is he able to compete against those guys in the welterweight division? Yeah, he was able to take shots from Errol Spence, you know, over the course of 12 rounds. He was able to take the shots of Jesse Vargas over the course of 12 rounds. Um, but, you know, that's it doesn't necessarily mean that he could get, 
you know, seriously buzzed by a Manny Pacquiao or by a Keith Thurman or by a Sean Porter or by a Danny Garcia, you know, somebody like that. Um, and that's kind of, uh, you know, where we're at at this particular juncture of uh, Mikey Garcia's career. So right now that's what he's kind of working on. He's, you know, talked with Eddie Hearn who put this um, fight together for him to fight Jesse Vargas over in Frisco, Texas. Um, and now he's going to work on trying to make the fight between Mikey Garcia and Manny Pacquiao. Uh, they're talking about possibly landing it in Saudi Arabia. Like if they look, if people in Saudi Arabia are willing to pay that much money for a site fee to hold, that particular fight, I mean, you got to go where the money is. I mean, it, it's not about you know, necessarily putting it at a particular venue where you might have the most attendance or whatnot. Well, you know, that kind of seems, you know, to be the sensible thing to do. The more money that people pay out for the event, you got to take advantage of it. And, you know, that money that they pay out for the site fees goes to the fighters, goes to, you know, the people working on putting the event together and everything like that. So my thing is, if you're, um, you know, willing to put up the money in order to host the fight, then there's nothing else that, you know, could basically be done in that instance. Um, basically what I have in reference to that, um, just going into, you know, quickly some other events, um, or other fights that were there. Uh, the co-feature bout, you had Khalid Yafai versus Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez for the uh, WBA Super Flyweight Championship. Uh, Khalid Yafai uh, was going in there with the undefeated record 26-0, and and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez uh, with the uh, record of 48-2. and um, remember, uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez was the multi-division champion uh, from you know minimum weight up to super flyweight. Uh, had his bout uh, where he you know did uh, take on Shrisaket so Rungvisai and ended up uh, losing you know that his first fight of his professional career to Sor Rungvisai. Then had a rematch. And in that rematch, he you know, ended up getting knocked out. Um, and so he had been trying to get himself back into the game within the super flyweight division. Um, and uh, when uh, he was doing that, he had like a couple of wins uh, you know, here and there. One against Moises Fuentes and then against Diomel Yokos. Um over in Japan, uh, but that fight against the Yokos was at the end of last year, and so he was able to put himself in a position to uh, fight for a world championship once again. Um, and it was against Khalid Yafai with Yafai uh, having his, uh, I think it was his sixth defense of that WBA Super Flyweight title. Um, and he had been defeating some guys here and there, but the majority 
of his um, defenses were against, you know, mainly um, voluntary guys. So um, that was pretty much what we had, you know, up until this particular point. Uh, seeing if we could get a caller in here from the 205. Uh, what's going on? You're on the Bison Source Radio Show. What's going on, James? This is Mike Grady calling out of Atlanta. Wait, hold on. Is this the same Mike Grady that is the vice president of the Deontay Wilder fan club? Yes, why on earth do you ask? Uh, uh, okay, okay, because I was just checking up on you. I was just checking up on you, man, seeing if everything is good with you, man. But um, I am, uh, you know, currently uh, just going through the uh, fight card that was in uh, Frisco, Texas with uh, Mikey Garcia defeating Jesse Vargas, and uh, you had Chocolatino Gonzalez against Khalid Jafai for the WBA Super Flyweight title, where uh, Gonzalez was able to score the uh, TKO victory over um, Khalid Jafai to win that WBA Super Flyweight Championship and become a world champion once again. Uh, he just eventually broke down uh, Khalid Jafai and then uh, scored the knockdowns, and then, you know, with the right hand, uh, put Yafai down to the canvas, and uh, after pretty much receiving a uh, beating, the referee put a halt to the count that he had and just uh, stopped the bout uh, for Chocolatito to win the world title once again. So um, what did you think of uh, that fight, if you um, were able to catch it or highlights? Uh, tell me uh, the other guy's last name again, Kafai. Yafai. Yafai. If I reminded me sort of Kell Brook, Kell Brook would get off, but at times it seems ineffective. Or at least when Kell Brook yep. stepped up to, like, the higher echelons. Like, uh, when he fought Triple G and um, and uh, Errol Spence, Spence. It, it, it appeared like that. And so the guy... It just seemed like he didn't have control of his environment very well enough. And, you know, he was throwing shots, but then he just looked – it looked ineffective times. Um, and then I think I went to sleep on the fight. The next thing I know, Rome Chocolatito uh, had uh, knocked him down, and then it was it was over. Yeah, oh, yeah, the thing was, it was um, yeah, uh, Chocolatito just had the upper upper hand in there. And the thing about um, Khalid Yafai was, for the majority of his fights, he pretty much, you know, kind of like boxed his way uh, to a win. That's kind of like a good comparison, though. Uh, Yafai to, like, Kell Brook, he almost, like, looks a little bit like a Kell Brook. Um, yeah, exactly. but, like, Kell Brook, you know, used, like, his – you know, boxing ability to get that upper hand on the majority of uh, his opponents. And he actually was doing that against the, you know, Gennady Golovkin for a good amount of rounds and uh, against Errol Spence for a few rounds. But eventually those guys ended up breaking them down and catching them and then stopping them, you know. Um, and that's pretty much the same thing what happened here with Caligia Fai against Chacotito Gonzalez. Um but, you know, a good amount of people were, like, saying, why is Khalid Yafai trying to, you know, go toe-to-toe with Chocotito? Because he was just, you know, in range 
with uh, Chocolatito uh, when he could have, you know, used his reach on Chocolatito um, to keep him away. And he just wouldn't do that. He just stood in the pocket in, in multiple occasions and, you know, tried to trade with the guy like uh, Chocolatito who had, you know, lots of power and things like that. So I, I just felt that that was a, a mistake uh, by um, Khalid Yafai, which, uh, you know, basically ended up being his downfall. Uh, another thing that, you know, I kind of seen, and this was like before the fight, um, Yafai pretty much like gave a lot of respect to Chocolatito Gonzalez before the fight. And while you can respect your opponent, you can't be that much, you know, um, quote unquote, in awe of an opponent that's had the track record of uh, Roman Gonzalez. Because that means you pretty much giving them the advantage uh, before the fight even happens. You got to go in there like, okay, I know how good he is. I respect how good he is. But that means I got to work even harder in order to defeat the guy. Or I got to figure out what I need to do in order to defeat the guy. I mean, you you, yep. you see what, you know, Sol Rungvisai did against him. But Sol Rungvisai is a completely different type of, you know, fighter. He He pretty much will walk through you if he doesn't feel that your punches hurt him. And and Yafai never really fought his opponents like that where uh, he kind of like eventually walked through those guys. You know, pretty much like every single win that he's had, except for one where he's had the world title, has been by decision. He's only had one stoppage win uh, during his world title reign. So he's not somebody that, you know, eventually walks down his opponents and ends up taking them out. He's like a... uh, you know, he's been in the amateurs. He had like a, what was it, a stint in the Olympics. So, you know, my thing is, is like, it's, it's completely different when, when you're fighting a guy that, uh, you know, is a multi-division world champion, um, you know, and has beaten, you know, all types of opponents in the professional ranks. So you can't like treat this as like a, another like amateur bout that just doesn't work that way yeah but you are who you are you know um so you know now with uh chocolatito getting a uh super flyweight championship he's a two-time super flyweight champion um you know there were like possibilities to see what would be next for uh chocolatito gonzalez uh there of course you still have uh you know, Shrizza kept so wrong beside that lost his WBC uh, super flyweight title to one Francisco Estrada. And we haven't really heard much about what Rungvisai is going to do next, if he's going to have a, you know, rematch with Estrada. But if not, then you have the possibility of uh, Gonzalez against Estrada once again. Or they have a possibility of Gonzalez facing Andrew Maloney uh, there because Maloney is the interim champion, so he is due a world title shot uh, by the WBA. But uh, that's the thing that people are looking for is that, uh, you know, Juan Francisco Estrada, uh, Chocolatito Gonzalez fight uh, soon uh, no way down the line. Wrong, 
No way you fight. Yeah, Joker. I think he's gonna. Yeah, he's gonna pretty much stay away from So Rungvisai. Uh, but you know, lucky, luckily for him, So Rungvisai is not rated in the WBA, so he doesn't have to worry about that. Um, so kind of like what we had there. Um, I got a question. Catch, yeah. Oh, maybe you were about to say this. Um, you were about to say the gun, the um, var, um, the guy who fought the um, the um, the guy from Ireland. Were you about to talk about that fight? Uh, I was about to talk about that fight, but I think I have a specific caller on the line from the seven one six area code. What is good? You're on the Boxing Source Radio Show. Rick Glazer, how are you? What's going on, brother Rick, man? Uh, you know, we just uh, going through a few things here with the fight card that was at the uh, Frisco, uh, at Frisco, Texas. Um, not sure if you caught that card. What did, what did you think about that overall? Overall, the fight card of the year. Every fight was meaningful, purpose. That was on the on the network. I mean, Joe basically coming over here to fight for the first time. I mean, Winters was a viable guy for um, a guy just coming, you know, coming back like uh, especially from a serious spider bite that he had. I mean, we don't we laugh at spider bites over here, but in other parts of the world, those are pretty serious things. Um, they're, you know, spiders grow in the humidity a lot higher. A lot, you know, they grow all year round in other areas. You know, huge, and they, you know, it's a it's no joke. And uh, we're laughing on this phone, but uh, spider bites, you know, is a serious thing, you know, not like we have over here. So, um, truthfully, it was a good fight by uh, Joe Parker, good fight United States by him. Uh, the other three fights were really, really good. I thought the kid from uh, Wales, uh, Jay uh, Harris, did, Jay did Harris, stood up yeah. like a rock, stood up like a rock, um, number one. Um, I thought Chocolito and... Uh, uh, Yaffe was very good fight. I thought, um, you know, I, I, you know, Martinez against uh, Harris. It was, you know, Martinez is Martinez, and the main event mm-hmm. was give and take all the all the way. The middle rounds, uh, it was a, it was a weird fight because he won the first four rounds of the fight. Um, uh, Vargas, Vargas, he lost all yeah. the middle rounds, and then he won one late round. Um, I, you know, I had it seven. I had it fifteen twelve. Uh, you know, it, I had 15, 13 rounds and then one point for the knockout. I had seven, five in rounds and then the one point. Um, I thought it was a very good fight. I mean, it was a very, very good fight. I mean, a lot of heart because at times he was really getting, 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 really getting punched around and then he came back. He, he weathered storms and came back. Um, I was a little disappointed in, um, in uh, Mikey Garcia. I think he took the, I think he took the pedal off the metal a few times. Um, un- unintentionally, he just doesn't. He doesn't fight like an inspired guy. I mean, we're not exactly looking at a walk across the ring and take you out kind of guy like a like a uh, Terrence Crawford is nowadays. You know, uh, you know, a yesteryear Mike Tyson. Uh, you know, he doesn't have that mentality. You know, uh, you know, at one time Pacquiao was like, you know, was a was a walk across the ring, get you out of there kind of guy. This is just not that kind of guy. He just. He looks like he's just going through the motions for the paychecks. He doesn't look like he's got right. a hundred. He doesn't look like he's in love with, with the sport. He looks like he's just picking up paychecks. That's how I look <laughs> at it. Well, the thing with Mikey Garcia is, is that you know the the, the, the thing about it, they kind of like 
act like he's very talented, but you're, you're kind of right in that he does kind of go through the motions and that he doesn't do something that's like absolutely great that makes you basically say, wow, you know what I mean? So there are times right. when, yeah, he could take out, you know, some opponents, but that's like been what early in his career. This is like before. well, that's when he was. Well, admittedly, that was when he was fighting 135 pound guys, and 130 right. and 126. Now he's fighting 47s, and it's a little different. Yeah, but he doesn't. He's not putting in that supreme effort uh, to to literally go for the knock. Be more stylish now. Yeah, he's not necessarily going for the knockout, so it's kind of like okay. He's good with the decision, or good of you know by getting through uh, with the decision win. Right. Well, Michael was a great light heavyweight walk across the ring, take you out. And then when he became a heavyweight, um, all of a sudden he was boxing and it was and wasn't going across the ring to take people out. So Michael Moore did the same thing as, as when he went from light heavyweight to heavyweight. Yeah, I think it's, I, and with the I think it's hurting his ability. Yeah, you know, and I, I I also think going I think when he went when he fought Earl he never went for it he like he went through the motion to pick up a paycheck so he just yeah doesn't there have were that like times where he was just like okay I, I I got you know I'm not really going to win this fight let me just see if I could you know get through it and I'll be okay you know right and that's right. pretty much right. what it was. But, Right, right, exactly. Uh, I mean, it just, uh, you know, I, I'm uninspired by Mikey Garcia. I'm completely uninspired. Put it that way to you. I'm inspired by Chocolito. I was inspired by the guy that lost last night, uh, um, uh, Jay Harris. I'm inspired by those kind of fighters that give it their all and come across the ring and say, I want to win this fight. Uh, I don't, by hook or crook, you know, tough guy, slow guy, whatever, I'm winning this fight. And he's not that kind of guy, you know. Give me Tyson Fury, you know. You know, give me Ryan Garcia. Ryan Garcia walks across the ring, breathing fire. I mean, you know, it's those are the kind of guys I want to. I want to see guys that give a hundred percent of themselves. I'm not saying to you I don't like good. I don't. I'm not saying I like punchers over boxers. I like people that give a thousand percent of themselves. Uh, rather than a guy who's trying to be a stylist and slick and and move around and waste time and push down on his trunks and push down on his gloves and and stand there and pose and oh my god, please I'd rather I, I please I'd rather I'd rather be eating. So right right all right yeah uh, Mike what what do you think about um, Mikey Garcia overall like you know his performance against Jesse uh, Vargas and how like how much of a contender he is in the welterweight division. So I'll say my thoughts on the fight in general. I think um, I agree with most of what Rick said in terms of I had Jesse Vargas winning the first four rounds, and obviously after round five when he, you know, scored the, the big knockdown, he controlled most of the fight. And it was it was so weird that, you know, Mikey Garcia was okay with – well, I'm not going to say he let Vargas do this, but Vargas threw more punches. So even in the rounds where he kind of landed the heavier shots, I had trouble scoring rounds because – 
uh, Vargas would throw more shots, and he would, you know, throw more, which means he would land more. But then Garcia would, like, let's say it was one round particularly where he landed two big right hands, but then right. uh, well, most, the, most of, of the whole, uh, you know, round, mm-hmm. he threw more shots. Like, he landed right. the, for the totality of the, of the round. Right, because, they, you know, Garcia was throwing the heavy leather, just not enough of it. He just fights so uninspired. I mean, real, real, I mean, realistically, I mean, I don't know. I don't see where he's his big attraction is. Well, yep. Well, no, nah, technically he, he does a lot of things correctly, but it's not like he follows that up by, you know, putting in power behind those punches or putting in enough speed behind those punches to kind of overwhelm his opponent. So it's like he has the, the, the skills or the technical you know, wherewithal to know everything, you know, know the right thing to do in the ring. But he doesn't put it all together where he would become a dangerous fighter in the welterweight division. And so that's why I kind of like say he's, you know, pretty much an unknown against the likes of a Keith Thurman or a, well, I, I say he loses to Manny Pacquiao, but a Keith Thurman, a Danny Garcia, or a Sean Porter. Like, I don't know if he would be able to defeat those guys. Because he doesn't have what you need in order to, like you said, pretty much take out the opponent and step on the gas to take out his opponent when that opponent is in trouble. And so, yeah, he, uh, continuing, continuing he, what I was he, saying, um, you go ahead, Mike. Oh well, continue what I was saying. I like I think that it was inevitable for him to land, you know, the one-two and possibly hurt uh, Vargas. But had Vargas not got hurt, it would have been Adrian Broner-ish, you know, like how he was landing more shots on Adrian Broner. But, you know, at at some point, I guess people saw the fight even. But, like, I think if if he didn't land that big shot, he would have banked in more rounds and uh, Garcia would have just been – Catching up at the end because had had he not got caught, he wasn't slowing down. I mean, he would have slowed right. down, but right. like he would have kept throwing punches and winning rounds. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Rick. Uh, we can't hear you. I said if he wouldn't have hurt him in the fifth round, I, that would have been a completely different fight, you know, um, all the way around because um, Vargas would not have been fighting in a weakened state, you know, physically and mentally if he wasn't knocked down. So, I mean, yeah, no question about it. It would have been a completely different fight. So, it yeah, just, I don't know. It would have been just, uh, different. Yeah, he's just, uh, he's very uninspiring. You know, for guys getting $7 million the other last night, I mean, come on, you got to give us a little more inspiration than that. You know? Yeah, so. he's got to... Yeah, he's got to give a little bit more effort than that in order to, you know, justify getting like that seven million. And the other thing was, it was the overall interest in the particular fight. You know, while it was, you know, it seemed like a very good card. Um, that thing wasn't, you know, anywhere, you know, near being sold out. And so, I, I'm not sure what they were trying well, to do by bringing it, but. Can I can I can I just say something? It did a thousand more people than they had, they had. Um, yeah, anticipated. They, 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 yeah, 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 they anticipated. So it did actually did okay. do well. They didn't think it would do more than more than ten thousand. It did eleven. So that was pretty well, good. Well, the thing is, uh, Eddie Hearn did say that you know when when he reserves 
uh, the Ford Center. He didn't want to open, you know, the every section of the Ford Center because he right. had a feeling that it wouldn't, you know, fill up if he was going to make it like, what, about 14,000 is the capacity there. So he kind of like right. opened 10,000 seats uh, for this particular event. So, you know, he pretty much, you know, made off pretty well in, in that instance. So, but as far as like Mikey Garcia in general, uh, I don't know if, you know, he is like kind of like a good uh, draw to have over in Texas. I think, you know, he could have still, you know, built a few things over in California and have fights in California to like, you know, build his following, you know, so to speak. You know, at least that's what I feel. <laughs> Well, I think you're right. But you see, the problem with Eddie is he doesn't have a man on the ground in the U.S. I've said this all along. He's, he doesn't know the U.S. market like he, like he knows the, the uh, U.K. market. And this is what you get. The place and the fight ended up in the wrong place. If he would have done that in, let's say, the StubHub Center, okay, that yeah. that thing would have sold out. And that would have been sold out and had for for probably you know thirty percent more in, in tickets sales uh, purchase mm-hmm. prices. So in other words, instead of a a hundred and fifty dollar ticket, let's just say it would have been been a, a hundred a two hundred dollar ticket. So just to give you an idea, so it probably would have brought in thirty more percent um, ticket prices wise and brought a couple more thousand people in California than it would have done in in Texas, but, you know, Eddie doesn't understand the U.S. market yet. So that's why, you know, that's why Aram does so well. You know, uh, and his, overall his shows do well, and, and that's the reason. You know, he takes shows where they're supposed to be. You know, like, you know, Jose Ramirez is going back to uh, Fresno, where he's from, on May 9th. He does um, shows with, the, what's his name, in Oklahoma, uh, and uh, now from Omaha. You know, 14,000 people come. Fresno, 14000 for the other guy. I mean, that's what it's all about. And, you know, he know, understands the market, knows where to bring fights. Where Eddie doesn't know because he, he wasn't born and raised here, and he's too, he's still a newcomer, you know, to this, to, to, you know, to this, um, this continent. Let's put it that way, too. Right. You know, and maybe in three yeah. four years we'll understand the market better, but he doesn't have anybody on the ground here to help him out in that category. And all the other yeah, guys no, around you know, him, no he's Right. There's no there's no executive here. There's a lawyer. Um, there's there's a director of boxing operations or daily mm-hmm. operations or whatever we want they call it. But they're not they're not executive types. They don't understand the marketplace. They're just people. They're just they're just bodied people that do work. They're not like top rank where it's like corporate America. They got vice presidents, executive right. vice presidents, and the, and they're, operations, and they have, COOs, CEOs. Um, yeah, they're like longstanding here in the U.S. Their, you know, their offices in Las right. Vegas, and they've been there for right. you know right. many years. Well, you know, Matchroom Boxing USA has only been here for not even two years yet. Not quite like two right. years yet. Yeah, you hire a guy from America. It doesn't look like the Beatles. Like he's got everybody in the office looks like the Beatles for Christ's sakes. So in the meantime <laughs> is uh no, I'm serious. I mean go if well, they ever hey, took a team hey, portrait well, or except hey, for the hair, you think I'm they're the Beatles. Say, I'ma just say uh the guy from the zone is pretty much what you're talking about. <laughs> What's that? Fair enough. No, the, the the that young guy from the zone is exactly what you're talking about. He does look right. like, right. like they, oh, they, no, they all man, do. Yeah, that, right. 
they, they all do. But the, my 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 overall point is that that's what he needs. If he, if he doesn't know, then hire. He doesn't have anybody. Topper's got so Aram's got so many guys around him. I mean, you know, he's got seven executives there. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. You know, he where Eddie he doesn't have that kind of operation in America, and and that doesn't work. You need a guy here. You need to hire a Kevin Wynn type of guy who used to with a, mm-hmm. was with IMG. He was one of the exact top executives at Madison Square Garden. He's a lawyer by trade. Uh, lives in um, the Washington D.C. area. Um, McLean, actually McLean, Virginia, which is right on the edge of D.C. Mm-hmm. That yeah. Oh, you kind of like off and on. Hold on. South Africa and Monaco and yeah. Oh, he didn't get that last part. Um, that's yeah, what saying. he's going all he's going all over continents: United States, Europe. Okay, yeah. He goes in Russia, South Africa, Monaco. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, he's gonna yep. wear himself thin. You you got to have people on the ground. People know what they're doing in, in, in each country and what's going to draw where and everything else. He just doesn't. Ha- he doesn't have it. Mm-hmm. You know, he just doesn't. He just doesn't have it. You know, and, you know, and, and bringing and bringing uh, Luke Keelers over here to fight and, and Lem Williamses and Lem Smiths. That ain't Liam working Smith over here. Yeah, Who is it? Um. Rocky Fielding and and that type of thing. Right. I can't have that. Right, no. right, right. That's not ha- that that ain't working over here. People want people like want to see over here. They want to see top of the line fighters right. and, and or punchers. One of the two. Right. Fury's different. Fury's got an incredible personality. He's a heavyweight, a humongous one, top talent. Let's not go by Fury. Even Fury didn't do big crowds the first two times he fought here without Wilder uh, each time. You know, the two, the Schwartz right. and the, uh, and the uh, and, uh, Otto, Otto Villain fight, yeah. And um, he didn't do great numbers either. You know, as far as the, uh, what do you call it? He did, he did on the ESPN app, Plus app, he did great numbers. He didn't do live great numbers in person. So yeah, now mm-hmm. now he beat Wilder, so he's going to be a huge attraction now. But, I mean, come on, guys. You know, this is not about Luke Keelers and Lem Smiths and Lem, and Lem Williamses. And this is about, you know, guys like the Mikey Garcias, like uh, Chuck Alito, and, and, and these kind of fighters. I mean, no, no, the, the life didn't. Nobody in life asked this. No, I, I, here, listen. I have a ton of friends of mine that are that are not in the boxing business that are boxing fans, and some of my made boxing fans. Nobody ever said to me, "I can't wait to see Demetrius Andre fight again." Nobody's ever said that to me. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Have they said? Have they said I want to see GGG? Have they said? Have they said I want to see um, Ryan Garcia lately? They've said that. They've said you know Kovalev. They've said that. A bunch of the top ranked fighters like Lomachenko and Crawford. Yes, said that to Fimo Lopez. Yes. Nobody's ever asked me. Say, oh, when is uh, Dimitri Andre fighting again? One guy had a great line. Mm-hmm. I said, you gonna watch the zone fights tonight? He says, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna watch up until Dimitri Andre comes out. So I mean, nobody cares. You know, he signs these guys up, and then he goes and puts them in a Euro trash. That isn't working over here. 
guys. That's that, and that's why the zone numbers are not good compared to uh, Oscar's numbers. Oscar De La Hoya's Golden Boy promotion. Forget about uh, Joshua and forget about Canelo. Okay, the, which yep. each company has. The rest of the shows, show for show, Oscar shows do better numbers on the zone than Eddie's do. Now that just shows you that he's putting on mm. more desirable de- desirable fighters than Eddie is. Would you guys agree right. with that statement? Yeah, because he has the guys within the states where he can put them on and at least have some type of recognizability that people are familiar with in the states. He can't do that with Correct. guys from the UK in like every other you know particular you know every other particular fight. So Correct. here, that's what uh, you know Eddie Hearn has to do. He has to do. You know, pretty much, it, 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 even if it has to be more fights with uh, Mikey Garcia and things like that, but he needs to, you know, have those Devin Haney's on, have those, you know, the Mikey Garcia's on and that type of thing. You can't, like, bring them against a guy that's, you know, un, un, unfamiliar with the uh, reason you why people. The reason why um, he's doing that is because in the U.K., they don't have the zone. He doesn't have their, they don't have the zone for, right. um, for for Eddie's fights. They got the Sky TV, so now he's got to make Sky, Sky yeah. TV, TV happy. So now he's jeopardizing the zone. Um, he's got a conflict of interest there. He's jeopardizing the zone. That's just what's happening. And now we got to put up with the Luke Keelers, the Luke Smiths. The, I mean, the, the uh, Lem Smiths, the Lem Lem uh, Williamses, and the Luke Keelers. Nobody wants to see those guys. They can't win. They're not winning yeah. over here. They don't. The, the expression mm-hmm. is they don't travel well. They're domestic right. fighters only. They're not world class fighters. Right. And and even so, with the world class fighters, you're not putting the world class fighters out here uh, in the states. I mean, you had a chance with Billy Joe Saunders, and Billy Joe Saunders blew it. You know, against no, no, Demetrius he's Andre. He's gonna, well, right, he's but gonna, he's not going to well, fight. Yeah. He's going to fight Canelo. Right. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah so he you does know, have that. Yeah, I heard. I, I heard. There's a rumor going around. They've got a stretcher ready for McGurney. Put his name on oh, it. Boy. <laughs> nah. <laughs> if it was if it was Dimitri Baval, then yeah, there would definitely be a stretcher with his name on it. Um, the other fights that were on there, um, you know, included the Joseph Parker fight against Shondell Winners. I mean, Shondell Winners was you know semi competitive, but he had just you know gotten into the heavyweight division. He had been a cruiserweight for a good little bit. Um, and so Joseph Parker has that win. Uh, he looked more of like a guy that wanted to finish off his opponent, but, you know, I'd like to see him back in with the, you know, higher rank contenders in the heavyweight division. Um, you have, you know, the guys like, um, uh, Michael with, Hunter. Uh, Alexander Usyk Michael out there. Hunter. Yeah. Michael Hunter with a, Michael yeah, Hunter. that would be a definitely good fight to measure both of those guys at their particular point of his careers, because me personally, mm-hmm. I'm not overly impressed with Michael Hunter at heavyweight, you know, they're saying like like you said before, Michael Hunter is you know kind of like gaining up there, uh, you know, gaining steam and, and and stuff like that in the heavyweight division. Uh, I was hoping that Hasim would have been able say, to excuse get me, him. Excuse me, are you say are you saying I said that? I thought I thought you were talking about Michael Hunter at one point. I did that. I just wanted to make sure you did remember that. I got to congratulate you for yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, he, he did, you know, do his thing uh, while he was training with Andy Ruiz, but we know what happened with Andy Ruiz. Um, I was just, you know, kind of, I, I was kind of let down a bit 
with his fight against Alexander Povetkin because he started off really great against Povetkin, taking the fight to Povetkin and just saying, okay, I'm much younger, I'm faster, you know, I could do this. And, and, and he pretty much blitzed Povetkin. But then after that, he kind of like slowed down and had Povetkin get back into the fight. And it ended up being a draw. And I'm like, man, it, like if for him to really compete against the top guys, he's got to be able to step it up. Uh, against the likes of a Povetkin, that would have been his. That would have been a great chance for him to be in the conversation to be a contender for a world championship. If he was able to get that win over um, Alexander Povetkin, now, um, yeah, like I said, you may see him against a Joseph Parker while Alexander Povetkin is ending up fighting Dylan White. You know, so. I, I, I'm not sure, but that, that Parker versus Hunter fight would would definitely be good, um, especially with uh, you know Derek Tizora. They're putting him on ice uh, for Alexander Usyk since Usyk keeps getting injured. So I don't know, uh, Mike. What, what you got on uh, Joseph Parker, man? I, I think Joseph Parker looked bigger. He looked like stockier from from what I remember seeing him. Like maybe because the guy was coming up from, you know, a lighter weight, but he looked stockier. And, you know, he fought different than how he fights. He fights fat. Um, fat, okay, there you go. But he fought different than how he fights when he fights the bigger guys. So when he's fighting, you know, bigger heavyweights, mm. he, he fights differently than how he, like, fought Anthony Joshua well, and, you know, well, and things like remember, that. So he fought differently, in my opinion. Michael, so, Michael, you're 100% correct. He did. But the reason for that was because you were used to seeing him fight A fighters when we do see him, like the uh, Whites and the uh, Joshua's and the Andy Ruiz's. Now we saw him fight a C fighter. And he and, and he did look bigger because he was a lot bigger than the other guy. Guy's really cruiserweight. He only weighed like 208 pounds or whatever. But yeah. also because of the fact that now he can push forward, where the other times when he's in with those bigger guys, those better punchers, and those more skilled guys, he's trying to like move around more and uh, around, and carry yeah. and have his feet help him carry the day. Where you know against Shondell Winters, he was carrying the night. That's why it looked. Well, different. he kind of was uh, tentative against Huey Fury too. When they had that fight, yeah, um, he was fighting against Huey Fury. Yeah, he must have. He yeah. must have, Somebody must have told him it was it was Tyson Fury. <laughs> Just kidding. Yes, yeah, yeah, because uh, that I was. Yeah, I was not really impressed with uh, Parker on that fight, and I actually thought at the time that Huey Fury had won, who would have won by a decision in in that particular fight. You know, that's how like unimpressed I was of. Uh, Joseph Parker, but, you know, the thing with Joseph Parker is that, you know, I kind of like has the um, thought that he is not a finisher. Like, you know, y'all were talking about the likes of a Terrence Crawford or a Manny Pacquiao uh, that ends up finishing his opponents. Well, you know, uh, Mikey Garcia doesn't look like he does that. I, I saw the same thing with Joseph Parker, that he didn't uh, look like he – wanted to just go in there and finish a guy when they're in trouble. But he was able to do that here in this particular instance. So uh, that's kind of like good in, in, in his part uh, in this particular case. Uh, so what so they do – yeah. Oh, I thought you were finished with your thoughts. Sorry. Yeah, I am. Yeah, so one other thing that I did see, the guy seemed to do very well with his end fighting. I was very impressed with, yeah. with how he got off from the end fighting. So – 
you know, when they were at a distance, obviously Joseph Parker, you know, ruled the day on that on that certain medium to, you know, far out distance. But with the infighting, he was like he was looking like a fake James Tony or something. I don't know. But he he looked pretty good when he was on the inside and then when it was over with. Yeah, but he, so, he listen, Winters gave 100% of himself, but he's a novice. Let's face that. He didn't start fighting until he was a uh, professional, uh, amateur until he's 29, pro, and he was 34. He, he's hadn't had that many fights. He was, what, 13-2 and two going the last night or whatever he was, 12-2, and two, whatever, 12-2. and two, And, you know, he's he's a novice. I mean, he's undersized. I mean, he, he had every advantage in the world in that fight. I don't think there was an advantage he didn't have. So, I mean, you know, age, everything, you know. You know, physical size, age, experience, power, you know, just everything. So, I mean, he's, you know, Joseph Parker did what he was supposed to do against a C, you know, a C fighter. And, and if Shondell Winters would be a cruiserweight, he'd be a C plus. So, there you go. Hmm. Next up, yeah. guys. Yeah, now um, we have the things uh, coming up here. Well, I. I I got to talk about this because now this has basically been a story of, of the following week. Like, it, it it hasn't even been one week, not even one week, and Deontay Wilder says that he wants to have the rematch with Tyson Fury, that he immediately invoked the rematch clause. And uh, it's seeming like they're planning to, uh, geez, like, have this thing on July 18th. Yep. Oh goodness, man. Yep. They're, like, you know what they're really doing? They're ca- they're cashing Deontay in. Al Heyman yeah. and Joey Finkel are ca- are cashing them in. Game's over, yeah. guys. And Game's that handwriting's on the wall. I doubt you know? it. I doubt it. What do you mean? You doubt it? No, I doubt it, Mike. They're cashing them in. The the amount of money that 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 they drew from the fight. And the the pay per view views, do you actually think they're cashing him in? I don't think so. I think with a million pay per views, do you really think they're cashing him in? No. That doesn't uh, make sense. Could I do well, No, no. It has nothing to do with money. It, it, it has all to do with he's not going to win the fight. And it, it, if if they really weren't cashing him in, they go put him in with go they go get ten million step aside money. Let him go for while go go fight. I mean. Uh, uh, Fury go fight uh, Joshua, and then have a, a part of the deal. He gets first shot at the winner of that fight, and in con- in contract form gets ten million dollars, and he goes and fights a donkey for three million over here. And okay, then maybe one more donkey real quick, yeah, yeah, and get that competitive spirit back, get his confidence back, and become Deontay Wilder again. Just like Aaron did with Fury when Fury got the draw the first time, he brought him back here twice, got him two wins, dusted him off, mm-hmm. and then he goes and beats he goes and beats um, uh, a Wilder. He's just they're just cashing him and in. Dominate. He's damaged good. He's da- he, they look at him as damaged goods now. He took an ass whooping, an old fashioned, uh, old school ass whooping he got, and in the meantime is uh, it's just it's sad but true. Okay, it's just so, exactly so what happened. They're cashing them in. during the fight? I'll tell you what happened during the fight. The same thing that happened with in the Anthony Joshua fight. So the Tyson Fury landed a good shot on the side of Deontay Wilder's head. Deontay Wilder could not recover. That's simple. If any heavyweight lands a good shot, and you know 
and they can't recover, then the fight is over with, which is exactly what happened in the. Okay. Um, You're 100 percent right. There's fight. no argument there. There's no argument there. So, let, me, let me finish, Rick. Let me finish. But sure. the thing is, the same way Please that you know Anthony Joshua could come back and win in the next fight, Deontay Wilder can do the exact same thing. Will it be tough? Of course it will be. But you act like just because he got hit and and you know hurt, which happens to anyone. He, hear the Rick, more difference. Now, hold on, yep. hold on, Rick. Hold on, mm-hmm. Rick. Mm-hmm. Let him continue, mm-hmm. and then and then I got this. Yep. Yep. I got this. Yep. Go ahead, Mike. That's it. That's all. That's all. Okay. Let me let me break this. Let me break this down for you. People keep bringing up the thing about Andy Ruiz and Anthony Joshua on June first, two thousand and nineteen. Let's break this down. Anthony Joshua was looking for an opponent to fight so that he had that date at Madison Square Garden. He eventually got Andy Ruiz. Andy Ruiz had fought against a guy that was six foot seven that had the similar amount of reach as Anthony Joshua. So they had already prepared Andy Ruiz for fighting a guy of Anthony Joshua's caliber. Anthony Joshua, as skilled as he is, always has had issues with guys that were shorter than he was. He does not like punching down. That's for one. For two, in the first three rounds of that particular fight, Anthony Joshua was doing fairly well against Andy Ruiz, and it ended up knocking down Andy Ruiz. With him, he ended up trying to go for the kill and then got punched in the temple, and that took out his equilibrium, and then he eventually got broken down, and they stopped the fight. Now, Deontay Wilder, Deontay got Wilder hold on, got his wait, hold on. No, 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 you got you to gotta simmer down there, Vice President of the Deontay Wilder Fan Club. You got to simmer down. First fight that happened between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder had been, had been active for the majority of his professional career. Tyson Fury was not active for the majority of his professional career. Tyson Fury was basically coming down to try to get within fighting shape. Tyson Fury and had two fights. Again, oh no, hold on again. Tyson Mike, Fury, relax, Mike. Hold hold on your snickers here. <laughs> Tyson Fury returned to the ring and fought a cruiserweight that they actually sanctioned in the U.K. for him to have that particular fight. That was his first fight. His second fight against Francisco Pianeta, he basically was fighting a guy that was pretty much out of commission as far as, like, contention in the heavyweight division. Before the fight between and Fury, I predicted that Deontay Wilder was supposed to defeat Tyson Fury because of Deontay Wilder's activity in the ring compared to Tyson Fury's inactivity. And he wasn't able to all Tyson Fury, and it became a draw. And what happened after that was, once they couldn't have that immediate rematch, Tyson Fury went over to Vegas. He prepared in Vegas. Bob Arum said, hey, oh my goodness, I think you're going to be the next big superstar heavyweight uh, that we're going to have in boxing. So I want you to come over to Vegas, and we're going to have you living in Vegas, and we'll give you all the facilities that you need. And that's exactly what they did. 
they basically sent them to Vegas, had all the gyms available, had the top-ranked uh, offices available for him, and they prepared him to defeat Deontay Wilder because they knew that the rematch was coming. So the first fight they had was against Tom Swartz, six foot five. Tom Swartz can't could he move? Not really, but still they had him prepared for a tall guy. Second fight, Ottawa Lane, same height, but a guy that was coming at him, you know, pretty much, you know, getting down, ducking low, and getting to the inside of Tyson Fury. And initially, Tyson Fury had issues trying to deal with that. So after he had those fights and won, he made a change to not have Ben Davison as his trainer, but have Sugar Hill Stewart as his trainer. So he switched from having a defensive style to having an offensive style. On the on the flip side, Deontay Wilder was perfectly content with facing a guy in Dominic Brazil that was pretty much tailor-made for him, and then fighting Luis Ortiz again, who is tailor-made for him because he's a shorter fighter that doesn't move that well, and he could use his length and reach against him. Deontay Wilder never really faced a guy in the, the likes of a Tyson Fury, and the guys that had height on Deontay Wilder or the same height, he's had issues with his entire career. It didn't matter if it was even Eric Molina, Johan Duhapas, or even Dominic Brazil, because Dominic Brazil was able to buzz him before he got hit with the right hand. But when you have someone in Tyson Fury that specifically prepared for Deontay Wilder, while Deontay Wilder was perfectly content with fighting guys that he knows that he could defeat because he only has to rely on one thing, he's not going to beat Tyson Fury. He's not. That's your opinion. I no, that is what I'm look. Okay, let me <laughs> let me let me put it to you this way. Mike. Let me put it Mike, this, you sound look, like oh, a let me you put sound it like to you you, way, you, you, you Mike, you sound like a really nice guy that's completely blinded by love. Keep going. First Mike Mike Grading you won the bet for Keith Thurman over Sean Porter. I still owe you for that. I need to pay you back for that. But if this fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury goes forward in July, if Deontay Wilder wins that fight, it will be the biggest upset in heavyweight history. Period. If Wilder wins, it will be the biggest Upset in history, is that what you just said? In heavyweight history. Can I give my synopsis on what I think is happening? Can I give my synopsis No, not yet, not yet. Okay, after you get I don't done. Think you, you I don't think you fully, I don't think you fully understood what I just explained to can I, you. Can I, can I, can I, is not prepared to defeat Tyson Fury. In no yep. way, shape, right. or form. You're talking about two guys that started their professional careers around the same time. One person in Tyson Fury went through the Kronk Gym early in his career. Deontay Wilder had a brief stint around the Kronk Gym and around Vladimir Klitschko, and nothing came off of that. You're talking about a guy in Tyson Fury that knows the ring inside and out, knows what he could do. Like when you, 
like when you break down and defeat a fighter like Tyson Fury defeated Deontay Wilder last Saturday, there really isn't much that Wilder can do. There really isn't. Not at this particular point of his career. He's too far behind. Well, first of all, I, everybody asked me why I thought Fury was going to why Fury would win the rematch. I says because from a rematch from the original fight, the um, the fighter that has the more athletic ability and the better ring IQ, norm, nine nine out of ten times wins the next fight wins the rematch. Now the guy who gets the guy who does the knocking out in the second fight. Normally, the third fight he knocks the guy out quicker, nine out of ten times. So I'll 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 leave those those long time statistics there with you guys. I mean, he's not. There's no way that Deontay Wilder's he's now damaged goods. He won't be he won't be as fast. He's going to lose some of his power. And I did say he's going to lose some of his power. I don't, please don't come back with the argument that the fighters don't lose their power. They do because they lose their snap and their punch, and they lose their balance. And when they lose their balance and they lose their snap and the punch, they 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 lose a lot of their power. Okay, so please don't tell me that that they don't, but they do. I've read enough over the years that pe- that people make that mistake, that they say, "Oh, you never lose your power." Yes, you do lose your power because of the fact that your balance isn't as good and your and your hand speed's not as good your reflexes are, so you can't land with the same velocity because you can't get your arm out there fast enough, your hand and arm out there fast mm-hmm. enough, and you don't have the balance to lay into the punch. So I tend to I agree disagree with anybody who writes that. They're, they're moronic when they say that. I laugh. I laugh. Mm-hmm. It's, un, it's un, well, unbelievably funny. Whenever you're ready, uh, James, I can, I can give my now, now, rebuttal. Yeah, yeah, because, because I do have a question for you. I do have a question for you, So, but go ahead. You sure? You, you, you sure? So go ahead. I just have my seeing, question. Oh, okay. What I'm seeing, which is what I've always seen, people who were discontent with Deontay Wilder from the beginning – which is there's no way Deontay Wilder should be where he is due to his lack of skill. He only has one thing. He's one-dimensional. He's this, he's that, he's whatever, whatever, whatever to discredit. Those Mm -hmm. same people were waiting till this happened so they could say, see, I told you, Deontay Wilder sucks. He's this, he's that, he's that, he's this, he's blah, blah, blah. When, When we all know that there's not a lot of shame in getting beat, by arguably the number one heavyweight fighter at this time, the best fighter at this time, and any person can beat the, another person at any point in time. They all can beat the okay, other so person. Mike, like it's, Mike, it's you're not using like, the hold theory. On, hold on, Rick. It's not hold like on, they okay. can't beat each other. But what people have been mm-hmm. doing was trying to discredit this man from the beginning. So now that he has lost, let's see. Now that he mm-hmm. has lost, um, you know, this is just the validation to discredit him. Okay. Okay, Mike. Okay. Uh, hold okay. On. Hold on, uh, I'm not, hold I'm on, not the president of, uh, of the Wilder fan club. Yep. <laughs> we, we all know that, um, Rick Blazer. We all okay, know that. Mike. Okay. Mike. Now, my question to you, Mike Brady, is this. Fans of Deontay Wilder have, you know, brought up 
that he is like like you were saying, like he has skill and he has this and he's a world class fighter, right? Now he wouldn't have had to hear if he was not a world class fighter. Okay, he wouldn't have knocked I, I, out everyone except for for uh Tyson Fury if he wasn't a world class fighter. Well, but he, here's my thing. I I, I don't favored, agree. People favored people yeah, I don't agree with that either. People favored Ty, uh Deontay Wilder in the first fight against Tyson. Rick Laser, you're one of the haters that now, I'm talking about. No, I'm not a no. hater, I'm a realist. I do this for a living. Yeah. Don't forget that. You can still He's be an international. Do this for a living. International. Uh, yeah. I am what I am. I am I am what I am because I'm very good at what I do. Okay, now let me just say one thing to you. He was knocking out 50-year-old guys, 49- and 50-year-old guys in Wilder, which that's his real age, okay, number one. He's Ortiz. knocking out yep. C fighters. But He's why knocking out C. What's that? I have a question for you. I have a question for you. I have a question for you. What you name me? What the if he's the boogeyman or tease? Tell me a, the best fighter he ever beat. I'm waiting. There what is not. He doesn't because there's no Mike, money. Because there's no money. There's no money. No, not even that. I know. I've brought this up before, Rick Glazer, and I know that you yep. tried to defend Ortiz in reference to him being a southpaw and people having right. to pay for, you know, training and all of that. But I'm going to just put it like this right here. Luis Ortiz has had three different promotional companies that he has been under within one calendar year. Now, you're talking about somebody is ducking Ortiz. I want to go back to 2016 when he was just signed to matchroom boxing. And he was preparing to fight Malik Scott. Before that fight, Dylan White called him out. He said, you know what? I'm willing to face Luis Ortiz, and if Malik Scott can't beat him, then I'll step up and do it myself. After the Ortiz-Scott mm-hmm. fight, they had another fight card. It was the fight card headlined by Anthony Joshua against Eric Molina. In mm-hmm. that fight card... You had Luis Ortiz against Dave Allen. David Allen. David Allen, right. And then, the, the, yeah, the and then you had Dylan White against Derek Chisora. Luis Ortiz mm-hmm. stunk up the joint against Dave Allen, and you had Dylan White mm-hmm. defeating Derek Chisora. Dylan White right. was ready to fight Luis Ortiz because he wanted and, to position himself and, 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 to and be the Eddie Hearn couldn't, Heard couldn't sell it. Eddie Hearn couldn't sell it. That's what happened. Well, not only couldn't and not only couldn't he try to sell it, even though Dylan White still wanted the fight. What ended up happening was Luis Ortiz ended up signing with Heyman March of 2017. And the reason why so he had any possibility is because when when Eddie Hearn signed him, they did that to pretty much put him on ice to make sure that he would not get anywhere near Anthony Joshua because we all know. He signed with Eddie Stop Hearn it. to get Stop a fight it. with Stop Anthony Joshua. Stop it, Mike. 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 Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it.
first of all, everybody, first everybody of all, in boxing, like everybody in boxing knows how old Listen. Luis Ortiz is. Please. What, what does that have to do with yeah, him? But I'm not, I'm not even. Look, no, no, no. It has nothing to do you, with that. He is not. He was not put on ice. You know who was put on ice? Andy Ruiz was put on ice after the Joseph Parker fight. That's who was put on ice. That's number one. Number two, Luis Ortiz, in March of 2016, when he was with Golden Boy Promotions, he fought Tony Thompson in the D.C. Armory. He was slated to fight somebody else for the interim or to basically be the mandatory contender for the WBA title. He wouldn't take that fight. There were two times that they were trying to make that fight. He wouldn't take the fight for the money or whatever. Eventually, he got out of the contract with Golden Boy Promotions. Then he signed with Bathroom Boxing. It didn't take them but one month for them to put him in the ring against Malik Scott. And they tried. They tried. Later, they tried to sign. They tried to sign a top rank. You know when when, uh, when he left um, a matchroom. You know what? You know what Aaron said. Matchroom. You know. You know when he left matchroom. You know. You know what uh, Aaron said. Why do I need him for? He's almost as old as I am. Keep going. <laughs> but but here but here's the thing. To, like I was saying, once he was signed the matchroom, they put him in the ring immediately against Malik Scott. Then they put him in the ring two months. It wasn't even but two months for his next fight against Dave Allen. It, it, it was a build-up to fight to White, him. and he shit the bed in both fights. He shit the bed in both fights, and nobody wanted him over there. He, he couldn't, and, and he his, couldn't sell the fight. And, 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 and I don't really want to hear anything about Ortiz being put on ice to fight so he wouldn't fight Anthony no. Joshua because but, but, here's, but, here's the thing, too. At before he even before Joshua even won the title, he wasn't even the WBA world champion yet. He wasn't even the WBA champion. So that's number one. Number two, the WBA was the one that made the decision to have Anthony Joshua fight Vladimir Klitschko for that vacant WBA super title. So if there was anything that Ortiz should have done, he should have filed a complaint to the WBA. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't. He didn't say anything in, in reference to Eddie Hearn or Anthony Joshua while they had that stuff going on. They knew about what they were going to do for months and said nothing about it. They knew that Anthony Joshua was going to fight Vladimir Klitschko if he defeated Eric Molina in December of 2016. And he was part of that. If you thought that there was any type of foul play going on, why would you even participate in the card? As a professional boxer, why would you even participate in something like that if you feel that they are trying to put you on ice so that you wouldn't fight a guy that they have? Why would you even deal with them? Can I, can I answer that? Go ahead. All right. I'm going to answer that by saying enough of us pulling straws. The fact of the matter is it is very unfortunate that we always move the mark when we talk about Deontay Wilder. Deontay Wilder is blah, blah, this, is blah, blah, that, all the negativity in the world. But when he exceeds marks, people move the mark on him. So now let's say a mark he met, over a million pay-per-views. Now what I hear are – 
875,000 pay-per-views. 875,000 pay-per-views because of two things. I heard Bob Aaron say 1.2 million. That's what a newspaper. 875,000. You believe Bob Aaron, when it comes to... When it comes to every other uh, number that he gives, nobody questions him then. Why are we questioning him now? Yeah, every reporter, every reporter is reporting eight fifty. I, I okay, I'm saying eight seventy five. You're arguing with me now. Every reporter reported eight fifty. I'm telling you, did eight seventy five? Now I'm a liar. Come on, please, Mike. Come on, Rick, stop drinking Kool Aid. What I'm saying is, the number I'm quoting is from Bob Ervin, which is one point two. That's what I'm saying. Well, that's what you're quoting, but what did Dan Rayfield say? What did Keith Eidick say? What did, um, who is it, um, Mike Coppinger Mike Coppinger, All of them or Steve said, Kim. Steve, Steve Kim. Kim. Steve Kim and Dan Rayfield worked for ESPN, and they both reported 850. They did 875. So 875 and 850 are awful close. We're not going to argue. That's a very small percentage. Okay, I, well, and, I was told and, it did seventy five. Right, but on top of that, whether it's eight hundred fifty thousand or eight hundred seventy five thousand, all of them stated that the break even was at least was one point two, one point one, one point two. But it's one point two. Yep. yep. So it fell below the break even point. So they didn't make money off the pay per view back. So the show the cost play, guys, guys, the, the show cost sixty two million dollars. The crazy, okay, thing this, the crazy thing about this is that in any metric, if Canelo Alvarez did $850,000 at a minimum to $1.2 at a maximum pay-per-view buys, no one would be sitting here saying, okay, now let's judge it on another mark. Did it make money? Like, they would, okay, they the would reason why. Whoa, 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 whoa. The so reason no, why. No, 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 no. Rick, 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 hold on, Rick. Hold we, have on, Rick. Take oh, away. we have to knock him down a rung or two because, oh, he did a successful pay-per-view. So we got to say, oh, no, no, no. Let's let's make sure everybody knows they didn't make money. They spent way too much money. Like, it, it's crazy. Like, it's always moving. No, continue, Mike. Continue, continue, Mike. That's what it is. Continue, Mike. It's always moving the mark for Deontay Wilder. Like, the reason why. No, hold on. The no, reason. Rick, 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 time out. Rick, hold on. No, Rick, Rick. Go ahead, Rick. Go ahead, Rick. No, let no. Rick go. Rick, no, go. Uh, the reason. I'm, no, I'm going to go in this. Okay. I'm going to go in this. Okay. I'm going to go in this. Fire. Fire away. Mike, what you got to realize is that this pay-per-view is being compared to only one real particular pay-per-view that's basically had this same type of magnitude, and that is Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao. Every other pay-per-view did not have two specific networks putting their money, time, and resources toward this event. Every other Mm pay-per-view that you're talking about has only had one network behind it, so they didn't have to have mm-hmm. that much money put together or put on towards mm-hmm. that. So when you're talking about mm-hmm. a Canelo Alvarez, only HBO is putting their money into it. Only HBO is putting their promotion into it, and they don't right. have the reach that a Fox and an ESPN has. Mm-hmm. That's for okay, starters. Mike. Second, Mike. Uh, right, Mike. You don't second. sound like a NASCAR fan. So let me tell you something. February 16th, they had the Daytona 500. 
the whole Daytona 500, which came on the air at 12 o'clock, that went off the air at 7 o'clock at night, okay, was all was like an infomercial for the for the Wilder uh, for the uh, Wilder Fury pay per view. It was like a huge infomercial, the Daytona 500. So there's how strong the, the Super Bowl had three ads uh, for 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 Wilder and the, and Fury. I mean, they had a whole week of devoted programming on both networks. Every platform they had, both of them had everything. The whole country was like, my mother mentioned to me, oh, my God, this fight is so big. Everywhere you see, read, bah, 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 it is. My mother's 80 years old. My mother didn't even know the name of the two fighters before the week started. Never heard of either so guy. She's not a fight fan. Fight. Why are we demeriting him? Why are we, why are we trying to diminish him then? We're, nobody's diminishing. Nobody's diminishing. What we're doing is we're telling you the actual thing that is going on within the business of boxing. You you got to understand that that you're not getting moving the mark. Okay, here's my thing. He I don't. Some you're emotional. You're getting emotional, Mike. Mike, getting you're getting emotional. emotional. We don't move marks. That's what I'm telling you. What, what is you're doing? Okay, wait, hold on. What is there? What is any point of what I say? Stop it. Stop it. First, what? First, in any point, eclipse, he can eclipse three hundred thousand views. He eclipsed three hundred thousand okay. views. Now we're talking about. Hold on. Hold on. Stop right now. Hold on. Stop right now. I'm putting a stop to this. I'm putting an absolute stop to this. And I'm going to break this down as simple as I possibly can. Pay-per-views that we're talking about, whether it's Canelo Alvarez as part of a pay-per-view, whether it's even Terrence Crawford being involved in a pay-per-view, that's being done through a single network, whether it's Showtime or it's HBO. That's it. Whether you had Floyd Mayweather involved in a pay-per-view, for the majority of those pay-per-views, they were just Showtime. Before that, with any other big event that was on pay-per-view, it was with just one network. That is it. We hardly had any instance where you have two different networks being involved in putting a pay-per-view event together. And when you do have something like that, that takes a lot of money for them to put in the resources to back the advertisement that's being done for that. We could make a comparison, very easy comparison. The first fight between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury did 275,000, 325,000 pay-per-view buys. Showtime didn't have to put in that much resources in order to push that particular fight. So while that number was low or considered to be low, they still made money off that because they didn't have to spend too much money on resources. Now, following that, you had Deontay Wilder going forward and going into a fight against Dominic Brazil that was on regular Showtime. And after that, going against Ortiz, that was on Fox pay-per-view. Why? Because Showtime couldn't put the money and the resources behind all of that to, to say that they are going to make money off the back end. These networks aren't in this business to lose money. They're not. So 
Showtime said, you know what? We've already put in so much money for Deontay Wilder to fight Dominic Brazil on May 18th, 2019 at the Barclays Center when we know that he's not going to be enough of a draw in the gate and not get the viewership for us to make this money back. So we can't invest in him again, regardless of who he fights. We, can't, we just can't do that. So that's why they ended up letting him go and having that fight between him and Luis Ortiz be on Fox pay-per-view because Showtime didn't have the money that they wanted to have or they didn't want to spend the money on their budget in order to cover that particular pay-per-view and the purses that were due to Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz at that point. So now you had Wilder Ortiz 2 on Fox pay-per-view, and they're showing it on FS1 tonight again. And what did that get, 275,000 pay-per-view buys? That's pretty much it. So Fox ended up most likely they may have lost money, but at least in that instance, Fox didn't have to really invest that much into that particular event because they didn't spread out the resources as much for that particular event like they did for this fight between Wilder and Fury in the rematch. They put in months of promotion for this particular fight. Then they put in lots of money into this promotion by putting it on paper, by by putting in the commercials on the Super Bowl, by putting in commercials on um, the Daytona 500. ESPN invested in it by having Tyson Fury appear in college game day uh, before the college football playoff. They put in lots of money for this. So, yeah, the thing did 825 or 850,000 or 875,000 pay-per-view buys. But when compared to what they needed to do in order to make money, that's a failure, an absolute failure. You needed to have it be 1.1 to 1.2 million at minimum. They they were making this as the biggest heavyweight fight in over what, 20, 25 years. You can't have that type of numbers in this instance. It just doesn't work. And now, yeah, maybe because of it being in this type of era that you have the whole streaming thing and, and, and people streaming and all of that, then maybe it was successful. But when you're not making money, it's not making sense. That's what I mean by that. Now we're going to have both of y'all back on here. So y'all can go ahead and continue. Well, I, I got to cut off. I, I want to finish up this way. Okay, and I've said this all along from the beginning. Wilder can't box a lick. He can punch, and it showed up when he fought an A fighter, and he's gonna, it's going to show up even worse on, uh, for him on uh, July 18th. That game is over, and uh, should wait, should take step-to-side money, take his time, rebuild a couple fights, get guaranteed the winner of Joshua uh, Fury, let him go fight. Or go fight Pulev and get a lot of money to fight Pulev, and uh, who's the number one IBF contender, and uh, do something like that. But you know what? He's going to rush right into a fight and he's going to get his ass beat down uh, even quicker this time. So he can't make the adjustments. He's not smart enough. He's not athletic enough. He's not experienced enough. And um, anybody with any brains is going to beat him, and that's exactly what happened. He fought a guy. Every, every fighter meets their Waterloo, and 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 it, it was Napoleon all over again. So, guys, I got a roll here. It's been great. Mike, 
JR. Good talking to everybody. And JR, you'll call me about that other business matter this week. And uh, yes. you know, let's let's all roll. Okay, you guys have a great Sunday evening. I'm just watching uh, the Pelicans and uh, Zion Williamson and oh, uh, and the Lakers. Yep. It's a fun so. game. Fun game, guys. Well, I'll let you guys go. Mike's been been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you, Rick. Thank you for coming on. All right. So, Mike, now that, you know, I've broken down this whole thing, um, when, when it comes to pay-per-view, like, you really had any type of event that had a joint pay-per-view type of presentation. And when you have that, there's so much money that's invested in trying to get that stuff off. So, yeah, like I was saying, while it did 850 to 875,000 pay-per-view buys, all of those guys want to make money when it all comes down to it. So for some, it may seem like it's gonna, it, it looks successful, especially with it being, uh, what is it, the highest, you know, amount of pay-per-view buys in a good amount of years. You know, pretty much maybe since uh, the, what is it, Pacquiao, um, not Pacquiao, but um, Mayweather versus McGregor, you know. But when you have, when you have to compare it to the amount of money that is invested into that, it's not, you know, that good of a return or actually Alvarez Golovkin too, my bad. Cause the Alvarez Golovkin fights got over a million pay-per-view buys, but they weren't joint pay-per-view presentations. There's only been one. And I think there was and Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson. Those were the only ones that were joint pay-per-view. Everything else has been under a single network. And when you're under a single network, you don't necessarily have to put that much into that. You don't have to put in that much resources towards it. So 850000 you're not really going to see, like from a single pay-per-view provider, you're not going to see, see those type of numbers in this day. You're never going to see those type of numbers. So while on that instance, it may be a success, how much has invested into it, they needed a huge return. Bob Arum said that it was going to do 2 million pay-per-view buys. When he has that type of expectation, that means he wants it to be very successful. But if he doesn't, then, and if it doesn't fall within that mark, how is he going to react to that? You know? And the thing is, is like they're seeing that the numbers coming back have them like, oh, maybe we should have Fury fight Joshua sooner rather than later. But with, you know, while they're activating that rematch clause, they don't have a choice. Now, now here's the question: with him activating that rematch clause, how are they going to show this next fight? They're going to do a joint pay-per-view again? After losing money? Hmm. I don't... That's... That's a big question. Because if they've lost money all across the board, why would they want to go forward 
and try to do the same thing once again to lose more money. That wouldn't make sense on their part. So you go ahead and and you don't have a response to it. I'm done responding. I've said my point. Okay. We we can talk about something else. And moving forward, and moving forward, we have next Saturday heavyweight bouts uh, headlined by Adam Kalnaki against Robert Hellenius. Adam Kalnaki undefeated, twenty and zero. WBC uh, contender, um, you know, pretty much waiting to see if he could be put in position to fight for the WBC title. Going up against Robert Hellenius, uh, you know, a big dude, tall dude, um, you know, six six, uh, but you know, lost against Joe Washington, who got knocked out by Charles Martin, uh, and both Washington and Martin lost to Adam Kalnaki. So, kind of figures that Kalnaki is heavily favored in this particular bout that's uh, next Saturday. Um, so, that is the main event over at the Barclays Center. Um, you have F.A. Jagba going up against Rajvan Kajanu in this particular card, and uh, Frank Sanchez against Joey Dewezko, uh for a minor uh, heavyweight title in the WBC. So that's coming up on March 7th. And then March 14th, you're going to have uh, Shakur Stevenson uh, going up against Miguel Mariaga to defend that WBO uh, featherweight championship uh, there. And, you know, still up to this particular point, I don't see any other matches, um, you know, (laughs) that's part of that card, Ben. I'm not liking the looks of all that uh, right there. I'm seriously not liking the looks of all that. Um so that's what we got uh, coming up on the schedule for boxing. Um, any thoughts on those fights coming up? Kajanu is the guy who fought who last? Rosvon Kajanu fought Joseph Parker, and he's fought Luis Ortiz. But his last fight, ooh, man, I don't know what his last fight was. Um, well, well, no, those, those answer my question. So when he fought yeah. um, Luis Ortiz, it went to like middle rounds, right? At least. Uh, uh, Rosvon Kajano? No, no. I I don't think it went past three rounds. Uh, Jogba should his favorite to knock him out early or something. Yep. Put it this oh, okay. way: he fought he fought Joseph Parker and lost. He fought Luis Ortiz and lost. He fought Nate Gorman and lost. And he fought Daniel Dubois and lost. And then he fought a guy that was five. Wins thirteen losses in one draw, in one by unanimous decision. So, yeah, this is kind of a thing to kind of boost F.A. Jogba up. But you know, a Jogba is limited, though. So uh, against the right wrong person, they could give a Jogba problem. So if if Kajanu um, can box and he has decent enough power, he could probably give. The person in that prototype can give a Jogba trouble. So Jogba's still too limited. Like, I think he needs a lot more mid-level fights before they step him up. Yeah, but I don't think they're quite doing that right now. 
<clears throat> so they're bringing up, uh, you know, they're bringing them up along slowly um, to, you know, kind of fill, fill up his, uh, you know, resume before they, you know, step him up against uh, the higher echelon uh, heavyweights that they have on their roster. So uh, that's, you know, kind of like what they have uh, going on uh, here. Um, also, did want to uh, go through this. They formally announced on the at the fight card over at the Star in uh, Frisco, Texas, that April it's supposed to be Friday, April seventeenth. They will have headline at the MGM Grand. I'm not the MGM Grand, but the MGM National Harbor over in Oxon Hill, Maryland. It will be Regis Prograce versus Maurice Hooker. Both guys were world champions in the 140-pound division. They will fight at a catch weight of 143 pounds. So that is the main event that's there. The co-feature bout will be for the vacant WBC lightweight championship between Javier Fortuna and Luke Campbell. Luke Campbell fought Basilo Bacheco at one point for, at the time, the vacant WBC title and lost. Um, Devin Haney had the belt, but in his first defense, he got injured, so he's champion in recess. And they made this fight for the vacant WBC uh, lightweight championship. And the fight below that will be for the undisputed uh, welterweight championship in, uh, you know, the um, female division. You're going to have Cecilia Bracus defending those titles against Jessica McCaskill. Uh, McCaskill had a great fight at the MGM National Harbor against Anahi Sanchez. And, of course, it's Cecilia Bracus, who is the longtime undisputed welterweight champion that will make her defense over there in the MGM National Harbor. And I'm hoping that Clarissa Shields makes an appearance there. I will make some arrangements to get her to come over to D.C. so that she can step in the ring and call out Cecilia Bracus if Bracus ends up defeating Jessica McCaskill in that particular fight. And McCaskill's a real fighter. So uh, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know. She might she might have some issues with this one. She might have some issues. But that's, uh, you know, most of the fight card that's happening on April 17th. And, and that, yeah, that's, you know, a stacked fight card. Man, I can't like I can't miss I can't miss that fight card, man. I can't. <laughs> and, and, like those three fights alone are, are are too good uh for me to for me to miss. Um there are gonna be a few other fights that are on there, including one guy that I don't know that Eddie Hearn likes too much over in the welterweight division, uh, but hasn't really done anything yet. Uh so that's what they got for MGM National Harbor uh, there. So, any thoughts on uh, those fights that I, those three fights that I mentioned? I'm strongly thinking about coming down to that to that uh, fight card. I agree with you. Uh, those three fights are, you know, worth seeing live. Definitely seeing them on TV. But um, yeah, I think I think definitely the main fight should be it should be a good fight. Both of those guys come to win. Um, both of them had, you know, 
you know, very upsetting loss, losses, you know, to lose their titles and stuff. And, um, you know, I think they both want it back. So they're going to come out there and try to win. <clears throat> um, what was the other two fights? Uh, Breakers. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, watching that fight is cool. I haven't seen the other girl. If I have, I, I, I forgot uh, how she fought. But I think that should be a good fight as well, too. And then what was the third fight? Is Javier Fortuna versus Luke Campbell for the lightweight championship? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like all those are, they should be good, good fights. You know, you know, nice fights with with decent action. And <clears throat> if all the rest of the fights on the court are like that, then you know, people should not be, people should definitely <laughs> be thoroughly enthused. And this is not one of the top rank. I mean, not one of the zone cards that people think about as snooze fest. So. And I think that last card was probably one of the better cards that I've seen too, in terms of uh, in terms of action and stuff, or com- competitiveness. I'll say that. Right. Yeah. In a, in a sense, yeah. Like the the um, the one with uh, Martinez and um, Jay Harris. That was a you know very good. That was a very good fight. You know, even with um, you know Martinez, kind of uh, blood. You know, getting. Um, forcing Jay Harris to have a bloody nose early. Uh, you know, Harris was, was so, you know, competitive. Blow blow what was the name of the blow-by-blow uh, blow blow person for the zone card? Uh, man, I don't know if it was uh, Brian Kenny or not. I forgot who the announcement team was. As, so, I mean, I was there, I, I so I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like him because I literally had to cut the shit off when I was you know, scoring the uh, Garcia um, uh, Vargas fight because he. Oh yeah. Like, oh, who was? Oh, who was the guy? Sergio Mora. I think Mora was there too. No, no, Sergio Mora. Yeah, they, you know, like I trust Sergio Mora. Scorecard. Tends to be, you know, pragmatic when he talk about people, and he don't get like fighter happy. But like, so the the one guy Martinez doing the Martinez whatever fight. The dude, the um, you know, um, whatever guy, um, what's the other guy named Martinez versus what Harris? Jay Harris, yeah. Harris was goddamn tagging his ass, you know, like he was doing good work, and I'm thinking like Harris is looking good, you know, and it wasn't until like okay, he wasn't gonna win the fight in terms of the scorecard because they definitely like Martinez, but the dude was like. Um, what's the name? Is just doing this and doing that and just, you know, ha- having his way. And I'm like, what the fuck is he looking at? You know, like, Harris was holding his own. Sure, Martinez was throwing big shots, but right. Martinez will be in trouble when he fight a motherfucker who can actually punch because he does not jab. Like, that's why no, he Harris doesn't jab. He just off. puts his hands up. Yeah, that's why Harris was getting off because he didn't jab. And Harris was throwing two, three, four shots and landing clean. He just couldn't punch. That's all. He just he just didn't have that much power, and so right. the dude also was saying the same thing when it came to Garcia and Vargas, where where Gar- Vargas came out and was tagging uh, Garcia, and then you know he was making it seem like Garcia was this and that and that and this and you know pretty much not giving Vargas Gar- uh, Vargas his props in terms of Vargas like literally winning the fight, and so. Once uh, Garcia knocked him down, he was just like, oh, he's dominating the fight and doing this and doing that, like, which he was winning the fight, don't get me wrong. But even in the later rounds, 
where Vargas was throwing more punches and Garcia was kind of landing the bigger shots, but it was only, like, far in between, he's still right. acting like Vargas wasn't making the shit competitive and wasn't, you know, throwing more punches. So, yeah, that dude I don't like. I had to literally cut the shit off because, you know, it, you know how you get swayed by just hearing him, and he just kept being so pro Garcia and pro Martinez, and it was just like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, stop giving your opinion. <laughs> like, say what the fuck is happening and, and stop stop swaying the fucking audience who don't know better. Because if you, if you would have heard him announce the fight, you would have thought that Vargas just got, you know, annihilated or something. Like, it wasn't a good fight. You know, like, sure, I had Garcia winning, but it was a close competitive fight. And literally, the knockdown is what made it not be like a tie or, you know, uh, something like that. You know, it was like that knockdown yeah. was the difference. But it was a unanimous decision, a close unanimous decision because of the knockdown. Like, other than that, it would have been either a tie or, or it could have went either way, you know? So, yeah, that dude, I, I didn't like that guy, whoever he is. Yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, I think, yeah, it was just a uh, bad yeah, you usually have it like bad, man. Um, because you know, one of the things that you know was a uh, complaint for um, you know for um, HBO was they had uh, the thing with um, you know uh, Max Kellerman and Jim Lampley, and they they you know people just didn't like that. They were just completely siding with one particular fighter and it seems like you know they're doing this thing here like like it said um you know oh you had like uh was brian kenny sergio uh like i said sergio moore and chris mannix now a lot of people don't like chris mannix if he was on there then i know a lot of people that don't like chris mannix chris mannix is the guy that like reports on everything that's almost like tabloidish so in in and yeah, okay, I will go ahead and call him out on wax. People say that Chris Mannix is a guy that likes to put out content where he wants to be first instead of wanting to be right. And the biggest example of that was the whole thing where there was a so called incident between Adrian Broner and Gavante Tate Davis. And he swore up and down that they had an altercation. And both of them clearly stated that that did not happen. And yet, to the, like up to this point, he still hasn't said anything to take back that statement that he made, that those two guys had an altercation. He never has apologized about that. And one of the things is, like, for a journalist, you're supposed to have, like, some type of integrity. And if you, like, post something or report something that's basically false, you got to point you gotta point out that it was false, that you got to admit that it was false. And we haven't seen him say that it was false yet, or at least not in public. So someone like Chris Mannix, like, a lot of people don't like him because he, you know, it, it's not like – to the level of what you have with HBO where he's increasingly favorite, favoring a certain fighter. It's not just that. It's, it's posting stuff on there that is not accurate 
at all and then not point out that it wasn't accurate and correct himself. If you don't correct yourself, then you can't really be, you know, trusted or, or valid journalist or an announcer or anything. So that's the thing with Chris Mannix uh, on this own. They got to, yeah, they got to drop him. Um, you know, he talked about, you know, guys like uh, Roy Jones and people asking about, you know, when Roy Jones could be on, you know, one of those teams or something like that. But uh, it seems like uh, he may have had like a no-compete clause uh, that went past the expiration of HBO boxing. So uh, he's still, you know, not able to be on any team, regardless of if it's, you know, zone or uh, through ESPN or, you know, through Fox or, or Showtime. He can't, you know, be on those yet until that runs out. But that's somebody I'm waiting on, seeing if they could, you know, basically uh, be on an announced team. So uh, I'm, I'm waiting on that. Um, that's pretty much uh, what I got here so far in this particular episode of the uh, Boxing Source radio show. I was hoping to get, um, you know, someone on, but uh, they uh, seemed like they weren't able to uh, connect with us, so we're going to try that on another date. Um, we're going to get right back at it uh, next Sunday, uh, March 8th, to talk about the results of the uh, fight card that's at the Barclays Center. Um, and, you know, be sure to catch us, uh, you know, next week live. Um, follow the, you know, the Boxing Source on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Anchor.fm, man. And like I say at the end of every show, the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit. Uh, not to stand the trade. On that note, I'm out. Have a good evening, everybody.